It's 12.09, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So, Eric Bilstead, how odd is it that Aretha Franklin passes away 41 years to the day mm-hmm. that Elvis Presley passed yeah. away? Isn't that crazy? It's just amazing. Uh, Aretha Franklin, and we're going to, we're going to, I can just, I'll give you a hint as to where we're going with Pop Culture Corner tomorrow afternoon. It's going to be something related to that. Uh, Aretha Franklin, the Queen of Soul, just a, an incredible singer, voice of generations. Uh, you know, in, in many respects, you know, you know what she is. You know what she's best known for to at least some people there, Eric? Blues Brothers? Blues Brothers, absolutely. The Blues Brothers, and I'm a huge fan of the Blues Brothers, you know, the late John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd. It was a bad movie. It, it just, it, I mean, <laughs> it's a classic, Jim. Okay, well, it, it's classic, but it's bad. It makes no sense. It, it's, it, it's, a, it's a bad movie. You know, but, but she... I mean, she steal. In my opinion, she steals that show. That you know, she's got mm-hmm. the the scene where she plays the waitress yep. in the diner, and she does think, "Oh my goodness!" I mean, again, it, it's it's a bad movie with like different segments that are kind of interesting in it. Ray Charles is tremendous in it, but I I think when you think back about the Blues Brothers movie, it it's it's Aretha Franklin. Oh yeah, it's just mm-hmm. in, incredible. So forty one years to the day that Elvis Presley passed away. She was in her mid seventies, died of pancreatic cancer. Way too much is going on. Well, all right, I hope. I hope that I am around to finish the show. I, I, I do. Uh, and, and I hope I'm around later on this afternoon. And tonight, my wife and some friends of ours, we're going to go to, I don't know if they still call it Zoo a la carte, but we're going to go to the zoo tonight and check out the music and all the food. But I hope I am able to do that. But I, I have a legitimate fear as to whether that's going to happen or not. Because yesterday afternoon, and when I do the radio show, I, I have my cell phone on vibrate, but I have it here. now. My friends, my family, anybody who knows me knows that you don't call the phone. I, I Between noon and three, I am doing something. So unless it is an absolute emergency with a capital E, you don't call me from noon to three. Now, I get messages and things like that, and I can check them during breaks. But you don't, you don't call me. So whenever the phone rings, I know that it's, well, it's not going to be somebody I necessarily want to talk to. And my rule is one of the reasons that God made caller ID was so that you didn't have to answer and deal with all the different calls you get. So yesterday during the program, the thing, the thing buzzes. I look at it and it's a number from Garden City, New York. As a matter of fact, I even said to Eric Bilstead, I said, he, he was, I said, nah, I don't think so. So I put it down. All right. So after the show, I decide I'm going to log in. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'll listen to the message. Now, I would love to play it for you, but the FCC has these rules that you're not supposed to play recordings unless you're on the air, unless you get the permission from the person. Now, candidly, I don't think this particular person would be filing a complaint with the FCC, but I don't want to get in any trouble. My goal is to avoid meetings. But nevertheless, here is the message, the message which is left for me yesterday afternoon tells me that I owe the IRS a lot of money and that I will be, quote, taken under custody by the local cops and uh, more serious allegations will be pressed against my name unless I contact these people immediately and make arrangements to pay this. Do not delay, and then they give the number to call. Well, I don't want to be taken under custody by the local cops, and I certainly don't want to have more serious allegations pressed against my name. So I um, this morning, I called the number back, and I'm thinking, okay, this will be an interesting conversation. And by the way, I will ask them, 
when I called them back, hey, I'd like to record this, by the way. Can I have your permission? Because we'll play it on the radio. Well, I, the number that they gave me to call back to avoid being taken under custody by the local cops and avoid having more serious allegations pressed against my name, it, it is now not in service. So I, I, I wasn't able to get through to them. So now I'm sitting here semi-panicked because all, for all I know, police officers might show up in the course of the next couple hours to take me under custody. Um, <laughs> all right. Now, obviously, this is a scam, right? Obviously, it is a scam. But one of the interesting things is this is a scam, which is making a huge, huge comeback. Um, apparently, to the point that last Friday, the State Department of Agriculture, Trade, and Consumer Protection, and this is the division of the state of Wisconsin that handles scams, frauds, things like that, They issued a consumer alert after seeing an influx in reports from the public about these fake IRS phone calls. Matter of fact, just a week ago, last Wednesday, um, what they say, no, 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 I'm sorry, this is yesterday. August 15th alone, the Consumer Protection Hotline received at least four times as many calls about this scam as on Friday. So apparently I am not the only one being told that I will be taken under custody by the local cops unless I send in a bunch of money. Now, clearly, this is a complete and total scam. There's no question about it. But at the same time, this is apparently making a big-time return to our area. And my concern is that there will be people who won't just hang up, who won't call the Consumer Protection Hotline and report this, who instead will talk to whoever it is on the phone and then make arrangements to give them money. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. How rampant is this? Have you received a phone call or a message like this in the recent past? Because my sense is, just like all these different types of scams, they run through cycles. But something appears to be going on in Wisconsin now where a number of people are getting the calls and maybe a 1,000 people or out of a 1,000, 995 recognize they are scams. But four or five, maybe these are people that freak out and actually do give money. Have you gotten a call? Has somebody close to you gotten a call like this? Then we're going to talk about what you do about it next. 414-799-1620. We will be back to discuss in just a moment, assuming over the course of the next three minutes I'm not taken under custody by the local cops. Stick around. It's Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1218, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The Packers and the Steelers in preseason game number two at Lambeau Field. Tune in to Wisconsin's Morning News, 720 tomorrow morning, to hear Jane and Mike break down all the action with the voice of the Packers, Wayne Larravee. Okay, 414-799-1620. Picked up the, I got a message that was left for me on my cell phone while I was doing the program yesterday. It says that in, I owe the IRS a bunch of money. I'm going to be taken under custody by the local cops, et cetera, et cetera, unless I call this number and make arrangements to make payments. I called the number, and the number they gave me was disconnected. Of course, this is a scam, but it is making a big-time return in Wisconsin. And my concern is there might be people who are getting these calls who don't realize that this is not how the IRS operates and might be inclined to send a check. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet um, Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. Let's start with Pam in Milwaukee. Pam, you're first. Hello. Hi. 
I came home from work last night and that was on my answering <laughs> machine. And um, when I listen to it, it's just how it's worded. I feel if they're going to come for you, they'll say lo- local law enforcement rather than the cops. Taken under custody by the local cops, yes. Uh, <laughs> and then also, too, I had gotten this call once before, and I called my son-in-law, who's a Milwaukee police officer, and said, if I'm going to be taken away, could you be the one to do it? So um, it just makes me angry that, right, there are going to people who get this call, who get who get frantic right. and will give their money away. I was just talking to my cousin this weekend, and when his father passed away, he got sucked into a lot of this right. and died with, had lost a lot of money. And it just makes me angry, but it, I also feel there's a special place. And we're, yeah, well, <laughs> I, I think you're right. Well, yeah, I mean, th- 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 see, thanks for calling. See, th- this, this is it. Thanks for calling. I mean, look, here's the bottom line. This is not how the IRS operates. The IRS is not going to call you up on the phone and tell you you have to call uh, a 516 number in Garden City, New York, um, to, to make arrangements to pay. That's not how the oper- IRS operates. But you know that. I know that. But unfortunately, I, they, they are preying on, again, they're, they're hoping that they can find somebody who is confused or maybe, I mean, this is an example sometimes of elder abuse when you have people who um, just – you know, get frantic about these types of things. And I agree with you. That's one of the reasons we're devoting a segment or two to this. It, I, I, it makes me angry. There's another phrase that I would use, but I'm just going to say it makes me angry because the truth of the matter is, other than warning people about it, there's really very little authorities can do because chances are that this, this is coming from somewhere overseas being funneled through an account. And all you need to do is have two or three people that guppy on this out of a thousand or two thousand or whatever, and you're going to make money, which is why people can't do this. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Deb in West Dallas. Deb, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi. Hi, Deb. Uh, yes, I have several of those recordings saved in my voicemail over the last year or two. It's the same robotic lady's voice. Right. Telling me that if I will, a warrant will be uh, put out for my arrest if I don't return the call immediately. When you first got it, were you were, were you freaked out a little, or did you realize it was BS from the no, beginning? No, I realized it wasn't, it wasn't true, because IRS wouldn't do that. <laughs> right. But can you see how sometime can you see how somebody might get confused yes, and might, yes. especially if it's not a message, especially if you happen to be somebody that answers the phone. And I don't know what kind of sales pitch they do, but I, if somebody answers the phone, maybe maybe you actually get a live person there that's trying to talk you into sending money. I don't know, but it's just it is aggravating to me that in 2018, law enforcement can't do anything to shut these things down. Yes, I agree. Uh, thanks for call. Well, it, it, and it's in, and it's it, the reason I bring this up is again, this is apparently something, and our, we have jam phone lines, incredibly widespread, and and they make the rounds. But it is frustrating to me that people obviously will send money in. Let's talk to Tammy in Oak Creek. Hi, Tammy. You're on WTMJ. Hello. How are you? I am well. Although I, I hope I'm not hauled off and taken under custody in the next couple hours, at least. <laughs> I think you're fine. I did get a call yesterday. I only have a cell phone, and I have a, an app on my phone called Hiya, H-Y-A-A, H-Y-H-I-Y-A, excuse me. Okay. And that will pick up calls that are scam calls that will stay right on their scam. This one got around it somehow, but it mm-hmm. did leave me a voicemail. You could not really hear it. I blocked the number, 
but I do get a lot of these calls from various things. Right. And somehow it got around this app that will pick up these, these calls. So if anybody wants to put that on their phone, it really weeds out a lot. Right. It's just, I guess it's now, you obviously realize this was a scam call too. Can you see how some people might get sucked in though? Um, yes, I, my father just turned 90 and I always worry about him because I don't live near him that if he answers the phone, something would happen. I don't think he would do it, but I worry about the elderly because they would hear something and panic and then probably give up information. Right. Right. Like, and that's, that's my concern. Like I say, most people that are listening to us say, well, of course, Jeff, what are you even bothering that? This is clearly a scam. But the reason, I mean, if, if they are calling, Hundreds, thousands of people. And I've got a big audience, but I, I've got, I'm getting flooded with people who've gotten the same call in the last 48 or 72 hours. And all you need is one or two people out of thousands and you're going to make some money and you're going to rip people off. Right. And the, I follow the city of Oak Creek on Facebook. They put a message out on their page that you can read on Facebook that's saying the IRS is calling people. It might have been through the Oak Creek police. I'm not sure which page. Right. But they at least let people know about this because this is getting to be so so bad, and especially for the elderly, they they believe right. that stuff. Oh, oh, absolutely. Thank, thanks for I absolutely. Here's a text, Jeff. My neighbor answered the call. He freaked out. They gave his residence address on where the police would be meeting him and gave a time the police would respond. He really freaked out. It caught him by surprise that he had his address, despite the fact that he had just moved to that residence. Yeah, I don't know what that is. I don't know what that is all about. Here's another text. I'm upset at the FCC and our phone companies for not putting an end to all these scam calls. From the IRS scam to what's her name saying she can lower your interest rates or whatever, I understand it might be difficult to prosecute these cases, but I don't buy that they can't block these calls. I think that's an interesting point because, you know, it's one thing if you've got somebody that's sitting in I, I don't I don't know Africa or Spain or you know Western Europe or you know Moscow that, that's responsible for making these calls. That's one thing. But it is fair to say, you know, in 2018, can we really not block these things once it is so apparent and so prevalent? Because my guess is thousands of us got this same call just here in southeastern Wisconsin that I got yesterday. Let's talk to Sandra in West Dallas. Sandra, you're on WTMJ. Uh, I, I too, got the call yesterday. Uh, I wasn't home, so it went to voicemail. But uh, they they indicated that I had four counts against me (laughs) and that the IRS, you know, could help me if I would call immediately. Otherwise, and this is what I found interesting, the wording was, the cops will come to my house and yeah. they will arrest me. Yeah, I was told I was going to be taken under custody, under custody by the local cops. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I just found it interesting for them to refer to the police as the cops. Uh, well, right. And it's would. Did, did you know this was a scam from the jump from the oh, beginning? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna, I was gonna uh, turn it off right away, but I listened through, and then I gave a number to call, you know, so that uh, we could work out some kind of arrangement. Uh, <laughs> but it just, I, I, I just sat and chuckled after I hung up the phone. 
because because of I mean it was a dead giveaway just from the cops. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and for anybody who who might be listening, this, trust me, this is let me give you some free legal advice from a recovering lawyer here who was also a federal prosecutor back in another life. This is not how the IRS contacts you. This is not what the IRS does if they think you have a, a debt. Trust me on this one. But this is, and, and the reason I spent two segments on this is. This is going around big time. We've had jam phone lines. I can't tell you how many different, you know, responses I'm getting on my face, on my, on the toll free talk line and our Twitter account and things like that. This, this is going around. And I guess even if you recognize it's a scam, if you have somebody that you're close to that might be, and I'm going to use the term vulnerable, um, who, who might somehow guppy into something like this, you, you might want to make sure that they know these are not people to talk to, and they're certainly not somebody to send a check to. 1228, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1238, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Um, number of people, actually, we're getting more Twitter followers every day. You can follow, If you want to get a head start on what we're going to be talking about on the program uh, many times, you can just follow me. Um, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. That's the Twitter account. In addition, I, I know, and this is one of the things that really was pointed out to me when I was at the State Fair, quite candidly, a lot of people who don't have an opportunity to listen to the whole show um, have, have now started listening on the podcasts. And you can simply go to WTMJ.com. You'll see something at the top that says mobile apps. You can click on that. You can download and be no- subscribed to the Jeff Wagner podcast. You get notified every time there's a new one posted. So if you want to see what we talked about in a given day when you're walking the dog in the evening or going to the gym or whatever, you can listen to the program on your time. Can't call in. But you can send me emails, and I, I it is amazing, Gru, who's producing the show today and always. I, I'll get these emails, like in the middle of the night, and it's people who I think aren't sleeping and are listening to the podcast, and they want to respond to these things. So you can check it out. That's one of the great things you can do. All right. I am fascinated to know how you come down on this story. Here's the deal. It, it was a lawsuit has just been filed by a, a woman. She is a nurse who works at a hospital in Dearborn, Michigan. She is African-American. She's black. Been at this hospital for 10 years. Here's what happened. She's on the night shift, right? And so as part of the night shift, she's assigned to care for patients that are in various rooms. So there's two patients in, in one of the room, in one of the rooms, all right? So what happens is on her way out of the room, After examining both patients at the start of her shift, she overhears one of the patients say that he doesn't, quote, want a black, and then he uses uses a a nasty word, uh, doesn't want a black woman caring for her. It's actually a female patient. I don't want a black woman caring for her, although she doesn't say woman. All right, so the the nurse, who's African-American, she hears this. So... You hear you have a patient in the hospital, all right, who says, I, I don't want, I don't want this black nurse taking care of me. So after she hears this, the nurse goes to the floor supervisor and she says, I, I just heard this is his patient and the patient was saying that she doesn't want, not me, she doesn't want any black person taking care of her. All right. So then apparently what happened is that the, the clinical care manager, the supervisor, goes in to talk to the patient. And the patient repeats what she had said, that she doesn't want a black nurse 
taking care of her. And at least according to the allegations in what has now turned out to be a lawsuit, the floor supervisor says, all right, the, the patient doesn't want you taking care of her, so don't don't bother going into that room. We're going to find another nurse to take care of her that the patient doesn't object to. All right. There's no discipline taken against the, the black nurse. She just, you know, she just has other patients or, or whatever. But the hospital makes the decision to honor the racist request from the patient. All right. So then the, the, the nurse, I mean, she's understandably upset about this. She complains. So she goes the next day. She goes to human resources at the hospital and she tells her story about this. She says, this is what's happening. And according to her, human resources says patient requests are honored all the time and that the next time it happens, she would simply be taken off the assignment altogether. A patient requested, um, dot, 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 dot. Her attorney says, a patient requested only white care, no care from any African-American caregivers, and a supervisor granted that and excluded the nurse from the patient room altogether. So now there is this lawsuit that is brought against the hospital for pulling her out of that room based on the patient's complaint about her race. Now, the hospital didn't dock her pay. The hospital, I mean, she, she still you know, did her work. The hospital didn't pull her off the floor. They didn't reassign her to a, a less desirable thing. They just said, okay, this woman doesn't want a black nurse, so you don't have to take care of her. And now the nurse has sued the hospital alleging that the hospital was discriminating against her for honoring the wishes of the racist patient. Now, the law in this regard is kind of all over the map. That the Supreme Court has never the Supreme Court has never ruled on, you know, whether or not you know, hospitals you know, hospitals are in trouble or violate any sort of laws for accepting a a request, a racist request from a patient when it comes to, to patient care, as long as there's no adverse action taken against the nurse. In this case, nurse still got paid. The nurse says, okay, she's objecting. This patient's objecting. Don't go in there. Um, some courts have found that this is discrimination in the workplace. Other courts have found it isn't. So it's very much an open question. When I started exploring this, this has apparently been going on for years, and this is one of these issues that is discussed in the medical community because, believe it or not, even in 2018, it happens more than you think, where you have persons of color who are the caregivers um, and you have people who are saying, I don't want this to happen. All right, let's open up the phone lines, 414-799-1620. That is the Accunate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. How do you think a hospital should handle something like this. You've got employees who are persons of color, perfectly qualified, but there are racist patients who are saying, I don't want this particular person taking care of me. Should the hospitals agree to that and, again, just simply say, okay, we're going to find you another nurse? Or should they say to the patients, 
tough luck. Um, this is a qualified employee. She's qualified to do the nursing work, and this is who you get. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, it, in many cases, for example, and one of the things to think about is maybe there is an element, when, when it comes to choosing your own doctor, for example, um, I, I'm sure there's an element of discrimination that occasionally goes in. Some people, women perhaps, are looking for female physicians. Guys are looking for male physicians, for example. So there's always a degree of discrimination. If you don't want to be seen by a white doctor or a Hispanic doctor or a black doctor, you know, and you're making your own medical decision, I guess that's something, that, a decision that you could make yourself if you feel that way. But now you're in the hospital. Should the hospital acquiesce to somebody's racist request? We discuss in just a minute. I'll tell you where I come down on this as well. 1245, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1249, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, here's the flip side of it. I have a text. My wife has worked at Sinai and St. Joe's in Milwaukee for many years and has lost count of the times that patients have said they don't want a white fill-in-the-blank working on them. Our response, my response is find another nurse and move on. 414-799-1620. Chris in Waukesha. Chris, good afternoon. Good morning. This is uh, an interesting topic and a tough one at that. Um, I've been in the medical field for over 20 years and several years I spent working in the hospital. And patients' rights and patients' concerns and requests always come first. Um, part of the one major issue we had sometimes is a patient would request no male doctors or nurses or no female doctors or nurses. Right. And while requesting somebody of a different race seems to be a bit extreme, in my opinion, um, it's something the hospital almost has to honor because if they don't, then is the patient going to come back and sue the hospital? Well, I guess that, that that's where it gets interesting. So let's say the hospital has a policy saying we are not going to honor discriminatory patient requests. So then the patient refuses treatment when the Hispanic nurse or the white nurse or the black nurse or whatever walks in. Do you think that the you think there would be some liability maybe on the part of the hospital for that? I think so, um, because I can remember some of the more extreme instances. We had um, a patient come in who had a religious belief, a very far out one, and they had to have a glass of water under their bed the whole time, and they were in a clean room. Mm-hmm. So we had to figure out a way to put a glass of water under her bed because it was a way of pulling out evil spirits. So you think... Uh, as a practical matter, because the hospital has the overriding obligation to the patient, um, they're essentially the customer, and to the extent you can accommodate a request, um, even if it's a racist request, you think the hospital should be doing that? Yeah, they're probably going to have to. Okay, good enough. Thanks, all. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Mary in Whitewater. Mary, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yes, hi. Good afternoon. All right. What should the hospital do here? Well, I agree with the previous caller, and it's exactly what I told the screener, that hospital patient care is top priority. While I absolutely do not agree with the racist request, if a person doesn't want green jello, they're not going to get green jello. Not to put that person in the same category as jello, but the patient comes first. And if they were to go into the patient room and say, you know what, we have people of all colors, all races that work here, and, you know, who's ever assigned is going to be your provider, you can choose to go elsewhere if you don't like it. I mean, they're never going to do that. Okay, why not? So they're either going to be, well, because they'll be sued by a patient, right. especially if, if the patient has an illness that, you know, and they choose, okay, well, I'm going to check out, um, and right. then they choose, you know, not to get care elsewhere. 
and something happens to them, it's going to all fall back on that hospital that gave them the, you know, they said that you can leave if you don't like it. Are, so, are you, are you a nurse? I'm just curious, Mary, are you a nurse or in an administration? I, I have worked in the health field. Okay. I'm not a nurse. Okay. But I have worked in hospitals since I was 15, since I was 16. I started at St. Michael's in Milwaukee. Okay. I now work for a hospital um, outside of Milwaukee. Okay. But, um, so, I, I mean, I have experience in that department. Working, having worked there for gosh, I'm 55 now, so mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of a lot of years. <laughs> so you think the hospital so, did the right thing in accommodating the racist patient, or did at least what sadly, it had to do, right? Uh, sadly, yes, I do believe they did the right thing. I don't know from a law standpoint, obviously, what right. they're going to find for this woman suing the hospital, but I think they did all they can do. It said, you know what? It, then move on to the next room and just don't don't take care of that patient. Right, yeah, and it's not like the hospital. One of the things that's gotten a number of these cases tossed out when, when people have sued is because the, the hospital, it's not like the hospital disciplined the, right. the black nurse. They just said, right. all right, look, we'll send somebody else in to deal with this person, you know, and, and yeah, you just go do something else. She didn't get her hours cut. She didn't get her pay cut. Right. She didn't get her job, you know, right. diminished, as you said earlier. Um, I, I don't think that the hospital did anything wrong. Now, for example, if it was a continuous problem, then I believe it is in the hospital. The hospital needs to post in lots of places that they do not right. cater to racist requests. If it is a constant, you know, overwhelming problem, then I think they have an obligation to make that clear. Thanks for calling. I appreciate the perspective. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Thanks for the perspective. Charlie in Oak Creek. Charlie, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Great show. Well, thank you. Um, what do you think? I am retired right now, but I was on, on both sides. I was a, a, a staff nurse for a good number of years in a major hospital, and I was also um, left the field as in administration, so kind of familiar with both sides of it. Um, as, a, as a nurse, um, countless times um, that I was turned away uh, because I was a male, mm-hmm. um, and well, I realized that that's you know, not the same equivalent as a, as a, uh, a racial um, overtone. Right. It's well, no, but it, but it, I mean, it's the same general theory. I mean, it's I mean, if you're you're being you're being turned away because of your gender. Um, right. So I mean, and and so so how in those situations the the hospital would then just accommodate the requests? Yeah, from and it was it was common knowledge among the caregivers. Certainly, I wasn't the only one that was subjected to that. It, that that happens to everyone. And, you know, you, you simply switch an assignment with somebody, they pick up and they take over. They understand the next person could be there. Um, you know, and while I don't, you know, I don't, I don't agree with the, the racial aspect of it, uh, certainly the patient is entitled, unfortunately, to um, their point of view. And whether it's, it's gender or sexual or, or whether it's gender or it's a religious persuasion or cultural or whatever it is, um, Though it may be a limited, uh, you know, uh, feeling that you have towards somebody and, uh, you know, not correct, but, but nevertheless, it's something that I think has to be accommodated. I mean, let's face it, um, hospitals, you know, while nobody wants anybody to be sick, sick patients are a hospital's revenue. And if you take away a, a patient, uh, give them a negative experience because you don't accommodate their request, then they're not going to be back should they they need to come you know be hospitalized well yeah but i mean i guess, yeah. I guess the flip side of it is is that i mean 
the, the revenue aspect is never a justification for in, engaging, for example, in racial discrimination. Um, you, know, you couldn't refuse to hire the nurse because she's African-American right. simply because, gee, we get a bunch of racist patients, patients in here who don't want to be treated by a black nurse. Clearly, the hospital wouldn't be legally entitled and shouldn't be entitled to not hire somebody because of their race, right? That's right. And, you know, and I, I totally agree with that. There's, there's a valid point to that. However, it's a little bit more of a, a gray area when it comes to um, patients and their right to be heard. I mean, we post signs all over, you know, you have the right to be heard. You know, if, if you don't agree with this, you don't agree with that, speak up. I mean, that's, that's uh, part of, of joint commission. Um, you know, so they, they come in indoctrinated with that. And let's face it, patients are much more vocal than they used to be years and years and years right. ago. Well, and in, and in this case, it's, it's, it's not like the nurse in this, just like in, in, in just like in your situation, you, it wasn't like they didn't hire you. It wasn't like they didn't pay you. They just said, okay, she wants a female nurse. So, you know, gets a female nurse. I mean, it, it, there wasn't really any job. There wasn't, there wasn't, forget really, there wasn't any job action taken away against you other than you didn't have to go and deal with this one patient who didn't want to be seen by a guy. I, I think they, they accommodate um, those patient requests in the very best way that they possibly can. Certainly, um, you know, if the patient is unruly or a patient is, you know, um, acting out to everybody that comes in the room and they're doing this on a, on something other than a limited extent, I think certainly the hospital has a, a, a need to step in and, and tell that patient so, because then you, you talk about, you know, right. um, are you are you really putting your staff at, at the, the best place, too, if you're allowing that to continue? That's it, Charlie. Thanks for the call. I'll tell you what, I, I'm kind of up against the clock. Um, I, I'm going to, I, I will tell you where I come down on this. Fascinating calls by people in the healthcare industry. I'll tell you where I come down on this, um, a- after the top of the hour break. And then we've got a lot of their stuff on today's program as well. 1250 HF Wagner, WTMJ. One oh nine, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The ongoing slump of the Milwaukee Brewers really made the season. Uh, much more interesting, maybe, than we thought it was going to be e- even a month or so ago. Brewers are struggling to find their way. Right now, they're three games behind the Chicago Cubs after losing ugly yesterday. Um, so they're three games behind. So you've got the wild card. At the end of the year, the top two teams that don't win their, their respective divisions play a single wild card game. Right now, as it stands, if the season ended today, the wild card teams would be Philadelphia and the Brewers. Uh, Philadelphia, slightly higher percentage, but essentially they're, they're tied. The Brewers have played more games, but those would, those would be the two teams. But St. Louis, as Eric was just saying, has won eight games in a row. They're white hot. They're only a game behind the Brewers and the Phillies. Then you've got Colorado and Los Angeles who are a couple games behind the Brewers. But bottom line is Brewers got to turn it around. Got to turn around. Now, Crew, did you listen to that game yesterday? You did. All right. Yeah. I, I hear. All right, here would be some of my advice. Yeah, bad. He said, yeah, it, well, here's part of the problem that they have. And, and I, their, their defense, I understand what they're doing, but you have a third baseman, Travis Shaw, playing second base, and he's not a good second he, But And that's not a knock on him. He's just not a good second baseman. He's a, he's a third baseman, and his range is incredibly limited. And then you have the, this scope guy who they got from the Brewers, from the, from the Orioles, who is is not playing well at all. 
and they had him over at shortstop, and he's not a shortstop, and he was he wasn't getting the balls. And you compare it with the defense that the Cubs were playing, and it was just it was like one ground ball after another. So I, I mean, I they've got all these people that are playing out of position, and I understand they're doing it because they want to get offense in. But the problem is when you take third baseman and stick them at second base, they're not going to make plays that second baseman make. And if you take a second baseman and put him at shortstop, he's not going to make plays that shortstops make. And that that hurt them. And I, I don't know what exactly what the answer is, but the Brewers right now they're they're treading water at a time when you shouldn't be. But Big three-game series at St. Louis. You win two out of three games against St. Louis this weekend. Maybe it's kind of a different dynamic. Okay, a couple thoughts on what we were talking about in the last hour of the program. And it's um, it, it to me is an interesting sort of legal issue if, if you're just tuning in. Here, here's what happened. There's been a lawsuit filed against this hospital in Dearborn, Michigan. Um, an African-American nurse. Right. She goes in. There is a white woman who is a patient. The white woman says, I, I don't want to be treated by any any. I don't want a black nurse. All right. This apparently happens a, a lot, happens much more than you think. And it happens all sorts of directions. You know, we had a texter who said, hey, my wife's a white nurse. She works at St. Joe. She works at Sinai. She's told all the time by the African-American patients that they don't want a, a white nurse working on them. So h- how do hospitals respond? In general, hospitals honor patients' wishes when it comes to this. And so they simply say to either the white nurse or the black nurse or whatever, okay, we'll find somebody else to go in there and handle this. You just go about your your business. In any event, this African-American nurse has now filed a lawsuit against the hospital alleging discrimination. Typically, these the the law is kind of up in the air on this, but typically – these cases get thrown out, not always, but typically they get thrown out because the, the nurses aren't able to prove any sort of harm. In, in other words, it's not, okay, so you've got this problem patient who doesn't want you, all right, fine, just we'll, we'll find somebody else, and, and they just go, the nurse then goes off and does something else. You know, they, they still get paid, there, there's no harm. But it, it, there's no question that in this case you have a hospital that is honoring the racist requests of a particular patient. So how do you deal with this, especially in in 2018? And it is extremely unfortunate that in 2018 we're even having this particular conversation. I I mean, here's here's what I think happens. I I mean, the state of the law is such that, you know, the patients get to decide, and that puts the hospital in, in a trick box. I think what the hospitals should be doing and this might cause them to lose some patients, but I think as they should, especially in the non-emergency care situations, emergency rooms are a little bit of a different scenario, but in the non-emergency care situations, I think they should make it clear we are not going to um, discriminate among our employees and we're not going to allow you as the patient to discriminate, uh, make us discriminate against our employees on the basis of race or sex or, or gender or, or whatever. And if you make one of these requests, what we're going to do is we're going to essentially figure out a way to transfer you as soon as possible. That might, I'm not sure how practical that necessarily is going to be, but I, I do think I appreciate that patients should have some right and some control over, over their care. That, that's obviously the case. But when it is a request that's based on, again, a clearly discriminatory thing, I, I think the hospital has a right to say, okay, this is fine. If you're going to insist on this, we are going to try to make arrangements to discharge you 
or to move you as soon as we possibly can. That's how I think that you have to end up handling it. But it's a mess, and apparently this has been going on for quite a while. All right, something else that has been going on for quite a while. Let's switch gears here. Do you remember? Do you remember the story of the Masterpiece Cake Shop? If that rings a bell, it's because this was a very, very controversial decision handed down by the U.S. Supreme Court earlier this year. The Masterpiece Cake Shop is a small, and I mean small, little bakery in a strip mall in Denver, Colorado. And there is a baker. It's just, it's a family. It's a mom and pop operation. You remember the guy's name is Jack Phillips. And Jack Phillips was the guy who, he, he makes specialty cakes. And what happens is he has this gay couple back in 2012 who come in and want him to make a cake for their same sex wedding. He refuses. He says, look, I'll sell you cakes. But that, but I, I consider this to be my cakes or a form of expression and making a cake for your wedding violates my personal individual belief. I, I believe that, you know, marriage is between a man and a woman. And, and I think this is a violation of my personal religious beliefs. So no, I'm not going to make you a cake. So I, I'll sell you just an ordinary cake. If you want to buy one of the cakes we have here, that's fine. But I'm not going to make you a specific cake for your wedding. They then go out and, and then they file the, the, they file a complaint with the Colorado Equal Rights Commission. Colorado comes down, jumps all over this guy. The case ultimately goes up to the Supreme Court, which then reverses it, says Colorado discriminated against him, sends it back for more findings. But in, in essence, he won, won, won the day. We talked about that for, you know, for years, actually, as it was going on. Well, Masterpiece Cake Shop is back in the news because what happens is, all right, you've got this whole thing going on with the, the, with the, with again, the same sex couple. Well, what happens is there is a lawyer and the, the law firm that the lawyer works for. Well, here's what they say on their website. We take great pride in taking on employers who discriminate against lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender people and serving them their just desserts. All right. So here's what happens. There's this attorney. Attorney's name is Autumn Scardina. And the attorney goes into the Masterpiece Cake Shop. All right. So they seek, this attorney seeks it out. The assert, the attorney was a guy and is now a gal. So he's gone through a gender transition. All right. So the attorney walks into this masterpiece cake shop, clearly picking this cake shop out because they are trying to set him up for a lawsuit and says, I want a specific cake. I want you to make me a cake with a pink interior and a blue exterior, and I want it because I am celebrating my gender transition. All right? So he says, this is the cake. Now, you understand what's going on here. The guy is being set up, and this is someone who obviously doesn't like his oppression and his religious beliefs on the same-sex marriage. So now um, she is going in and trying to see what's going to happen. He says, look. He says, I'm not going to do it. 
He says the status of being male or female is given by God, is biologically determined. It's not determined by perceptions or feelings and cannot be changed. And he says, look, this is just another effort to violate my First Amendment right to practice my faith. So he refuses to make this cake, again, on religious beliefs. The attorney files a complaint with the Colorado Equal Rights Commission. The Colorado Equal Rights Commission holds against Masterpiece Cake Shop. And the reason this story is now back in the news is Masterpiece Cake Shop has now filed its own lawsuit saying, look, here we go again. I'm being set up. They are trying to quash my legitimate religious beliefs. So let's tee this one up. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. So you have the attorney who's gone through the gender transition, picks the Masterpiece Cake Shop because they are clearly trying to create an issue. I think that goes without saying. Predictably, the baker responds and says, no, I, this is, I'm not making a cake to celebrate this. And now you're off to the races. Should he have to make that cake? 414-799-1620. What do you think? We discuss next. It's 120. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 123, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, so this is the Masterpiece Cake Shop. Um, a, a woman, pre- previously male, done the transition, has clearly singled out this baker, trying to make a point. They contact the shop. They say, hey, we want this for a cake to celebrate our gender transition. And the cake shop says, no, we're not going to do this. All right. What do you think? Let's talk to Armando in Green Bay. Armando, you're first. Yeah, I would just like to say is like, you know, uh, what if this was a Buddhist shop or something or a Muslim shop and said, we're not going to make something for a Christian because you're against our religion. I mean, are we going to accept that now in the country? Well, he's, the, he's not. It's not against. Where in the Bible does it say that you can't bake a cake for someone? Well, I'm sure it doesn't say. I don't think it says anywhere in the Bible that you can't bake a cake for someone. I think the shop's position is that baking a cake um, for a particular event is an, a, a First Amendment protected right, and that he shouldn't have to do it if it's something that interferes with his religious beliefs. All right, so then um, if someone is not Christian and wants something done, then the people have a perfect right, no matter if they're not transgender or gay, then it's perfectly all right for that shop owner to say, no, you're not Christian, I'm not going to bake this for you. Well, again, it... Because it's against their belief. Well, it depends on what that is. I mean, thanks for calling. I mean, it, it depends on what it is. If it were, let's... First of all... He said, he doesn't say that he's not going to sell them cakes. You know, if they wanted to just buy a cake, they, they could buy a cake. He says, look, the act of, of baking a cake, this is, this is my art. It is a form of expression and I can't be compelled to do something specific that violates my First Amendment feelings or religious belief. If, for example, let's, but let, let's talk about your example. If you had somebody who came in and said, I, I'm Muslim and I want a birthday cake made, and he refused to do that because they are Muslim, I think that's clearly a, an act of, of discrimination um, because I don't know that there's any deeply held, sincere religious beliefs that say, you know, you can't provide a service to somebody of a different faith. 
That's not what this is. But again, right, should he have a right to do this? Now, again, I think clearly he was being set up by this, this, this woman. I mean, that's why else would you go into this particular cake shop? Now, the, the, the guy also says that he, he thinks that she had made a series of other phone calls trying to order other things like cakes with Satan on them and all. I, I, I don't know. But Colorado says, no, Colorado has agreed with the transgender lawyer. The man is now sued saying, look, this is just another variation of that whole, you know, uh, the whole wedding cake. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Dave in Appleton. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Well, that was my point, Jeff, you know, as a uh, recovering lawyer. How can that board in Colorado that's already lost in a Supreme Court decision make the same decision? Well, they obviously I mean, don't think they're they obviously don't think they're wrong, I guess, is, is it? They, well, uh, I understand, but they've been told they're wrong by the. I would think that the cake company now has the grounds for, you know, unlike your last case, they, they have been damaged and in not only slander but lots of business and everything else you can sue for because it's kind of a you know it's well, like the speed limit is 35 i want to drive 55 well you can't well i want to well do you think they should have <laughs> do you think the baker though should have the right to discriminate i mean because that's clearly what he's doing yeah. he's saying i'm not going to i'm not going to make a particular cake for you because i i believe that celebrating yeah. this transition is against my religion in, in this case, yes, yeah, I believe he has the right. Just like a Muslim would have the same, uh, I can't go in there and insist that he makes me a ham sandwich. Mm-hmm. He has no pork in his building, and then sue him, but, well, you didn't have any pork in your building. Well, right. yeah, I'm a Muslim. You don't want a ham sandwich? Go down the road. Right. You want a pink and uh, blue cake? Go down the road and get a pink and blue cake. Yeah, I mean, thanks for coming. Of course, the, the problem there is that the... Okay, the, the the business in your example, the the Muslim delicatessen isn't selling isn't selling pork to anyone. I, I would guess in this particular case, the guy will make cakes for certain people, and he does in fact discriminate. There's no question about it. He discriminates on the type of cakes he makes. I don't know how this is all going to play out. I, I do know that this issue is is not going to go away and clearly this man is going to be targeted because now you have you have a number of these different you know activist groups that are out there that are saying well he shouldn't be able to get away with this so we're we're going to pick him out and and we're going to select him i think i, I think where this is a little more difficult in my mind is all right i i understand the the idea and the religious teachings whether you agree with it or not I mean, I don't care where you come down on this, whether you agree with it or not. There are, I mean, I think legitimate people have religious, legitimate religious objections to the idea of of what is marriage. And again, you you can agree with it, disagree with that's not the issue. And and I I do think, I think the Supreme Court was right in the underlying case about the same sex marriage. This one's a little bit more difficult because. Is it as clear cut that there's a religious objection to this particular celebration? That's what makes it tougher. But the bottom line is, this guy is clearly being targeted by a number of activist groups, and they're not going to stop till they put him out of business. It's 129. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 138. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Join our crew in supporting the crew on Saturday, August 25th at the Brewers Community Foundation's Hitting for the Cycle event. Together we'll conquer a beginner's bike ride that starts and ends at Miller Park. 
followed by a tailgate party and a matchup between the Brewers and the Pirates. Hitting for the cycle benefits Dream Bikes, the Urban Ecology Center, and UW-Milwaukee's Life Impact Program. For more information or to sign up, text the word CARE, C-A-R-E-S, to 414-799-1620. That's going to be very cool. WTMJ CARES is presented by First Bank Financial Center. All right, let me say at the outset, I do not think that the mainstream media is the enemy of the people. Right. I just I don't think that journalists are the enemy of the people. And I think that kind of rhetoric is over the top at the same time. And I've said this before. I think there is an incredible bias that exists in a lot of the mainstream media to the point that I and I understand President Trump brings it on himself. I, I get that. But to the extent that you have the president attacking the media, and and again, we're using these in generalities, but then you have, I I think, members of the media oftentimes tend to think that they are perfect, to think that they, and be very, very thin-skinned. And so when they get attacked, they respond, and then, of course, the president responds, and then you go off on this sort of cycle that we are on. All right, so today... In a series of newspapers across the country, I think over 350 of them, at the instance of the Boston Globe, the Boston Globe started this. The Boston Globe has led this effort to encourage editorial boards to write editorials, essentially criticizing the president for using the term fake news and suggesting that journalists are the enemy of the people. So that's that's what's going on now. And in the local newspaper, there's an editorial like that. There's editorials like this all, all over. And it's the Boston Globe that really kind of started this effort. So in response to this, so you're going to see all these If you were to go to a number of different newspapers, websites, you would see various editorials advancing this point and generally um, responding and being very critical of President Trump for a number of things, including his the belief that he's inciting, you know, people to not trust the mainstream media, to which President Trump responds today with a series of tweets. Here's a couple of them that came out this morning. The fake news media is the opposition party. It is very bad for our great country, but we are winning. The Boston Globe, now again, the Boston Globe was the newspaper that kind of started this effort. The Boston Globe, which was sold to the failing New York Times for $1.3 billion, plus $800 million in losses and investments, or $2.1 billion, was then sold by the Times for $1. Now the Globe is in collusion with other papers on free press. Prove it. Um, he, he, he's kind of wrong about the numbers and what the Boston Globe was sold for. But there's no question that the New York Times took a huge hit when it, it sold the Boston Globe in 2013. President Trump continues, There is nothing that I would want more for our country than true freedom of the press. The fact is that the press is free to write and say anything it wants. But much of what it says is fake news, pushing a political agenda, or just plain trying to hurt people. Honesty wins. All right, so I have, so you don't have to do it, I have taken the liberty of reviewing a lot of the different editorials that were written um, across the country. Big big editorial, big papers, small papers, and, and there does appear to be sort of a, a sameness on them. But I wanted to share with you one of these editorials, and this appears in today's Chicago Tribune. I want to share this with you 
And then I, I want to get your reaction. I want to take your pulse as to where you stand on the what we're going to describe as the mainstream media. I'm going to share that editorial with you in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. It's 143. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 146, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, so here is the editorial or portion of it. Chicago Tribune writes today. Mr. President, we aren't the enemies of the people. We're a check on government. You may have read this week that scores of U.S. newspapers are responding in independently written editorials to President Trump's many attacks on journalists as enemies, his word, of the American people. As this has become a national news story, we at the Tribune Editorial Board had two choices. We could stay silent and leave you wondering what message to read into that, or we could explain in our own words the dangers that the president's incitement has created. We choose option two. We haven't written at length about Trump's vilification of journalists. Journalism isn't supposed to be about journalists, but Trump has made us part of the news story so often that we'll take time to talk to you about that. Nineteen months ago, Donald Trump swore an oath to defend the U.S. Constitution. One protection on its fir- one protection in its First Amendment is the stated guarantee of a free press, of a press free from government dictates, and an implied responsibility for journalists to be a check on that government's enormous powers. Rather than defending or at least respecting that guarantee and that responsibility, Trump has escalated from criticism to incitement. It is interesting that they don't refer to him as President Trump. It's Trump. Anyways, rather than defending or at least respecting the guarantee in that responsibility, Trump has escalated from criticism to incitement. At public appearances, he demonizes the reporters who cover his speeches and his crowds. He routinely insists that journalists intentionally craft false reports. As he put it in a July speech to a Veterans of Foreign War convention in Kansas City, don't believe the crap you see from these people, the fake news. Just remember, what you're seeing and what you're reading is not what's happening. America's news media, news media, the reporting that journalists promulgate and the decisions they make aren't beyond fallibility or reproach. Everyday journalists get some things right and other things wrong. Tensions between presidents and reporters is a staple of most administrations. But Trump's rants pose a much different, more dangerous threat. He is toying with the power of the presidency in order to provoke one part of the American public against another. At some point, such verbal assault encourages ideological extremists to take action. It threatens journalists' personal safety, and it undercuts that responsibility for a press that's supposedly free of government control to act as a watchdog on public officials. Presidents play an outsized role in American life as elected leaders, but are also caretakers of liberty. What a president says, how a president shows respect or disrespect, sends signals across the country and around the world. When Trump portrays journalists as saboteurs of the truth, he's not taking on critics or sparring with adversaries. He's using the force of his office to embolden people who object to robust news coverage. Hmm. That's interesting. The Tribune editorial board faulted Trump as a candidate, then as a president, for his boorish behavior and divisive language. His attacks on journalists exemplify his tendency to bully and humiliate. There's a direct line between his reluctance to shame white supremacists, his insertion of himself into other people's disputes, and his relentless attacks on the press. His primary concern is his own popularity, his control of the movement. And the editorial goes on, um, let's see, in sum, 
We aren't the reflexive resistance Trump evidently imagines when he hears the word journalists. We aren't the enemies of the American people. But many of us have fielded enough angry threats in the streets, on our phones, at our computers, to chafe when the president calls us that. That's why we're adding our voices to those of other journalists nationwide. Our role is to serve as a check on government. The president ought to get used to it. All right, I want to open up the phone lines. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Clearly, collectively, the, the, the mainstream media, and you're seeing this in hundreds of editorials today, objects to being called the enemy of the American people. And, and I don't think that in any way, shape, or form is, is a fair analysis or a fair commentary. I don't think they, they are. Having said that, though, there appears to also be this nature of thin skiddedness saying, all right, but, but don't criticize, don't criticize us. Don't use that term fake news. You know, we don't think that's fair either. All right, 414-799-1620. Does President Trump go too far when he criticizes the media? Is the criticism unfair or is there perhaps, while well, maybe over the top, is there perhaps an element of truth in at least some of the things the president says, which rather than getting its collective backup, the media might do well to at least take into account? 414-799-1620, is Trump, does, Trump, does President Trump go too far in his attacks on the media? All right, we're going to discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. 414-799-1620, it's 152. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 155, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Game two of the preseason is upon us, and the Green Bay Packers are prepping for another dress rehearsal at Lambeau Field. Aaron Rodgers is expected to play. Our green and gold coverage starts 4 o'clock this afternoon. All right, today the the newspapers battle back. There are editorials in, in several hundred newspapers essentially taking on the president for his suggestions that they produce fake news and that they're the enemies of the people, something that I don't buy, by the way. Um, They're fighting back. The president is responding accordingly. All right. um, Is the president too harsh on the news media? Steve in Green Bay. Steve, you're first. Good afternoon. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Sure. No, I don't think he's too harsh. I mean, he's never said anything against uh, the freedom of the press or access. He's probably given more access to media than any other president, but I think he's got a right to call them out when they're not being objective, when they're being dishonest, uh, when they're twisting the facts. I, I just think that, you know, possibly like everything else does, he's a, he's a little blunt in doing it, but, but I commend him for taking on. And as I told your screener, the other thing, I think there's a bit of hypocrisy here with all these uh, newspapers doing this together in collusion because it was a couple of months ago, I think, when the Sinclair Broadcasting Company had their folks put something on an editorial in terms of more on the conservative side, and they were called to task to that by all the media. Right, for distributing it to all the different Sinclair right. outlets. Right. At, do, you, do you think the press is unfairly hostile? And again, we're, we're using generalities, but you know, what I'll, I'll describe the mainstream media, do you think they are unfair to President Trump? Yeah, I, I think that they are. I mean, I... I I'll admit, I'm a conservative. I watch Fox and Friends every morning, but then I turn on Morning Schmo and Mrs. Schmo. <laughs> and, and they, I mean, Trump could save the world and hunger. You know, they'd find something to complain about. Uh-huh. Um, I, I think in a lot of cases it is. I think a lot of it's sour grapes that, you know, they're appointed one Hillary lost. 
Well, you, there, there's no question. There's no question. In, I mean, for example, if you look at, uh, let's take the guy from CNN, the, the, the Jim Acosta. He, he, he's not an unbiased reporter. He clearly loathes the president and has an agenda. Now, that doesn't necessarily make it, that certainly doesn't make him an enemy of, of the people, but he's not an unbiased sort of guy. So when CBS, CNN continues to use him in the role that they use him on, I, I think it's tough for CNN to say, no, no, we're completely objective about this. And it's perhaps tough for me to understand why CNN gets surprised when President Trump punches out at that. Right. And, you know, and, and I'm really dating myself here, but I remember... When I was a kid growing up, you know, back in the, the 60s and that, and you had David Brinkley, you had Walter Cronkite. They were true newsmen. They didn't tell you what they thought. They told you the facts, mm-hmm. and, and it was unbiased. And, you know, they they just put that out there, and, and I'm an educated person. I don't need anybody to tell me what I should think about that. Good enough. Excuse me, so... Uh, Okay. Now, thanks for the perspective. I appreciate it. Now, I tell you, we've really touched a nerve with this, and I want to carry this topic over. So if you're on the line, please hold on. If you want to join us, um, one open phone line, 414-799-1620. This, it's really now coming to a head. You have these rallies where President Trump, you know, calls out the different reporters and encourages people to boo him. You had the thing a week and a half ago where he had the crowd that was chanting CNN sucks and all those types of things. Uh, the, the news media, very, very uncomfortable with this. Um, they think, and again, it's, I'm generalizing when I say the news media, people think encouraging violence against reporters. Is President Trump going too far? I, I actually think. I think there's blame to go around on both sides. And I don't think journalists are the enemy of the people or anything like that. But I, I do think maybe some introspection is called on on the part of the media and maybe some restraint on the part of the president. But we're going to continue the conversation. Do you trust the media and are President Trump's attacks going too far? If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 159. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 209, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, if you're just tuning in, um, in, in approximately 350 newspapers across the country, they're all writing a version of the same editorial, which is President Trump is wrong to attack the media. He's wrong to label us as the enemy of the people. This is a challenge to the First Amendment, etc. He should stop with calling us fake news, etc. But I, I think, I mean, is, is the mainstream media, however you want to define it, are they the enemy of the people? No, they're, they're not. And I understand why some of the press get upset with this. At the same time, at the same time, I, I think it, one of the disappointing things to me about this discussion has been the fact that the, the media in general, and we're talking about generalities, does seem to me to lack any sort of introspection at all. And by that, I mean, is there a kernel of truth in what President Trump is talking about? And I, I'm talking about kernel. I, again, not the enemy of the people and, and not that, but the idea that Maybe do we suffer from this collective group think where everybody sees things the same way? And I, I've told this story before, but Showtime had, had this four-part series in the New York Times called The Fourth Estate. It showed these reporters covering the first year of the Trump administration. It is clear from watching this that they all, all loathe President Trump. They loathe President Trump. And, and, and I mean, and I understand then he plays into that and he fights back and, and, and people dig in their heels. But it is, I think, is, is his criticism of the media over the top? It, it absolutely is. 
But at the same time, I actually think the media and some of these, these big newspapers and some of the TV stations, I, I think that maybe if there was a bit of introspection, maybe they wouldn't find themselves. All right. So many people saying that they distrust the media. Here, here's a text. The president faces constant systematic media bias. Example. Yesterday, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was down 180 points reported by the Associated Press as a result of Trump's tariffs on Turkey. Today, the Dow Jones average is up 300 points. It's actually up 400. Did Trump drop the tariffs? Are the sum total of U.S. imports from Turkey significant enough to impact the Dow Jones? Of course not. 414-799-1620. I guess my point is, I I think there's blame to go around. You have a thin-skinned president who lashes out. And you you have, in many respects, collectively, a kind of thin-skinned media that then digs in its heels. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Liz in New Berlin. Liz, thanks for waiting. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Liz. Um, I agree 100% with the first caller. Is he an enemy of the people? No. Uh, the press is not an enemy of the people, but they are so biased against Trump. I mean, he could literally save the world from blowing up, and they would still get down on him be- mm-hmm. and trash him. And that's not right. If you're in the media, you there should be no bias. That's your personal opinion. When you write about something, you gather all the facts, and then you write about it. And I know... I remember when Trump first became president, there there were several things written about him where they did not check the facts and then to go and find out it was wrong. And I'm sorry I'm having a senior moment. I can't remember what it was about, but I... I remember that happening, and that was more than once. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, thanks for calling. I mean, here, here's, I, I mean, here's the thing. I, I think, I mean, one of the roles of a free press is to, I don't know, call out people and authority and power. That's that's what I've done for twenty years on this radio station. I mean, I have the ability to, again, under the umbrella of the First Amendment, you know, to to criticize, to you know, all right, I, I think the Milwaukee trolley is just an incredibly harebrained idea. I get to say those type of things. And I don't think there's anything wrong with doing that. I don't think there's anything wrong with coming at it from a point of view. But, you know, collectively when you have a, a mainstream media, the Washington Post, the New York Times of the world, the CNN, you know, the MSNBCs, who are, are supposed to be journalists, and, and you've got this group think where, you know, there, there's nothing that a president can do, the president can, Trump can do that is right, and, and that's what it's become. Well, then you invite this type of criticism, which isn't to say that, you know, is it fair to write about the Russia investigation? Well, yeah, it is. There's, there's no question about it. That, that's news. Is it fair to write about disorder in the White House? Yes, that, that's news. Is it fair to write about and report on, I don't know, all the turnover in the White House and the crankiness? Absolutely. Is it fair to report on, I mean, obviously things like the North Korean deals and stuff like that? But it is interesting to me the tone that is taken, and it's almost kind of this collective, reflexive thing. And I do believe that there's a lot of reporters 
who believe that President Trump is illegitimate. He was not their choice. They were shocked when he won. And so, all right, that is influencing and forming some of the coverage. Now, is that all fake news? No. I mean, it, it, it's not. It's a legitimate story to write about the, the Russian investigation. Maybe you can argue there's an obsession about it that wouldn't be true if there was, if this was Bill Clinton or if this was Barack Obama. Maybe you can have that argument, but it, it's fair coverage. But at the same time, there, there's no question that there is a tone to the coverage that I'm not sure you've seen, certainly in my lifetime, with possible exception of Richard Nixon and Watergate at the end. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Richard in Grafton. Richard, you're in WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Hi, Richard. Uh, uh, first of all, I'd like to identify myself as an independent voter. I'm, I'm in my mid-70s. I'm a Vietnam veteran. I do not own a gun, but I respect the right of the Second Amendment. And if you want to own a gun, you have that right. I also respect the uh, First Amendment. And I listened to uh, you reading uh, what was written uh, in the Chicago Tribune as I'm driving here up to the Packer game. And I thought that was extremely well written. Now, what I'm going to say is that I think Trump is totally, totally wrong for calling the news the enemy of the Mm -hmm. people. Evidently, the only news organization that is not the enemy of the people is Fox News. Now, I don't listen to Fox News because I think they're as far right wing as CNN is left wing. But I'm going to make a prediction because of Trump's rhetoric. There is going to be a journalist that is going to be killed because of some fanatical person that has uh, owns a gun because of the Second Amendment, and he doesn't. Uh, that particular person does not agree with uh, uh, the media that is against Trump. So that that well, let me uh, let me just flip that flip that around. Do you think then by the by the same token? When you have politicians on the left, let's take like the Maxine Waters of the world who are out there saying we, we've got to be provocative. We've got to be confrontational. We've got to be in resistance. We've got to get in the face of Trump supporters that if there's an act of violence engaged in by one of them, that then that's the responsibility of, of people on the left like the Maxine Waters who have encouraged that. Well, first of all, I do not agree with Maxine Waters. Okay. Okay. I I think she's she's off the other end of the spectrum also. But uh, Trump to call out the news media that is protected by the First Amendment as being the enemy of the people mm-hmm. is going to cause some journalists to be killed, and I predict that will happen. And I also predict that that blood will be on Trump's hands. Okay, well, thanks to the caller. I, I hope you're wrong. I, I mean, I, I, I hope I, I hope you're wrong. There are unhinged people all the time. And I mean, I guess the one of the classic examples of that was the guy who what drove from Illinois to Washington last year to, you know, and, and ended up shooting up the Republicans who were playing softball. Remember that? Who, who was clearly, I mean, unhinged, what, whatever it was about the state of politics that, that caused him to do that. So, I mean, I understand that there's always the possibility that you're going to get some crazy person on one side or the other who does that. I, I, I hope that you, I, I hope that you're wrong to that 
to that extent. I, I think, and, and by the way, as I keep saying, I, I think President Trump takes it too far. The enemy of the people and stuff like that, I, I think is, is, I mean, I don't think that rhetoric is constructive as well. I think the president would do well to dial it down. I, at the same time, though, I do think, I think the news media, whether it's New York Times or the Washington Post or the CNNs of the world, I, I think they would, a little bit of introspection would, would perhaps go a long way just looking at the tone of the coverage and again i read the new i get the new i read the new york times on a daily basis just looking for story ideas and think that and i i will tell you that the coverage of of anything the administration does is relentlessly negative and i wouldn't are I'm, I'm, don't get me wrong i'm not arguing that when there's stuff to criticize that you shouldn't criticize or where there's elected officials that are saying stuff that isn't true that you you shouldn't call them out on it i mean obviously that that's the the case but I, I do think that we're, we're going tribal. You know, we're, we're getting into our tribes nowadays. And I think the, the media, in certain respects, is, is, you know, is taking sides and becoming, whether it's to sell newspapers or whether it's to get eyeballs viewing, um, is getting, is getting tribal in that regard as well. 414-799-1620. Dan on the east side. Dan, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Good afternoon, Jeff. Hey, I. I think part of this to me, and I, what I call, said to your, your screener was, let, let's you or me, or let, both of us are standing on the sidewalk, and these people walk by, and every day they walk by, every single day for the last year and a half, they punch us, or they call us names, or they, you know, swear at us and everything. Every single day they do that. After six months of that, or a year of that, I'll bet you you and I start reacting to that in a way that maybe isn't totally appropriate. And I'm not making excuses for certain mm-hmm. things that tr- President Trump has said, but I think part of him reacting is the fact that he, ha- he has to react. It's a natural thing when everything you get is negative. And yeah. here's the other thing that I'd like to say is that I think your point about the press, this group thing, today, Jeff, was a perfect example of 300 newspapers all did the same thing. You know, that's just totally over the top. That tells you how these guys think and what they think. And the other thing was, one last thing was the guy called out Fox News. Well, I can tell you, there are liberals on Fox News who give their perspective as well as conservatives. So I think Fox News at least gives both sides, and they give both sides the chance to talk, which most channels don't. Thanks for call, Dan. It, it, that last part, I, I know we've got a lot of listeners whose heads who, whose heads are probably exploding. On I look, I mean, I, I guess I, I just I'm sitting here thinking. I think I, I it would should president. Do I think it would be in the interest of the president to dial down the rhetoric? Yeah, yes, I I, I do. I, do I think that's going to happen? No, because he he is what he is, and I, and I don't think that rhetoric is is constructive. I I don't. At the same time, like I was saying, I I would I I think. The media, however you want to define that, would do well to maybe just kind of assess why is it that when you do these polls, you find that, that there's this huge chunk of, of America that doesn't trust the media. Is it all because of President Trump? Well, all right, I, I think maybe that gives President Trump more power than than he, he's perhaps justly deserved as far as his rhetoric. I, I think you know, if, if there would be some degree of introspection saying, gee, you know, look at these stories that we've written and look at the way these stories that we presented. And I, I think by any objective measure, 98 percent of them have been hostile or whatever. Is that really the case? Is everything really that bad? 
that might be a, a constructive thing. But but at the same time, I just I don't think a lot of this conversation one way or the other is productive. Lisa in Wales. Lisa, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hello. What do you think? Well, first of all, to address the topic about Trump's response to the media, um, I am disheartened again just because I would love to be able to respect the office of the president, and there are very many things that I find very disrespectful to the office. Um, But then to get on to media bias, there isn't one media unless you go outside the country to find something from, for instance, the BBC or whatever that tries to put our news in perspective from no bias and your own station included. There is bias in all forms of media. You have to learn to sort through it and make sure that you don't follow either side, especially for those of us who are not far to the right nor far to the left and don't really feel we have anyone representing that moderate truth point of view. So would you agree with the basic, so I mean, you would agree with the basic premise that there, whether it's to the right or to the left, that there is is a media bias that's out there? A hundred percent. Every every radio station I've listened to, every newspaper I've ever read, every news I've ever um, submitted to online, there is bias in all of it. Mm-hmm. And I've been a WTMJ listener for most of my life, mm-hmm. and it's getting harder and harder because, again, I'm not getting all of the news. I'm not getting all of the truth I don't feel. Okay. Well, thanks to call. Well, I mean, look, here, here's the, here, here's, the, I mean, there, there's always going to be some degree of, of quote unquote bias in, in any sort of media outlet because you're, you're going to be making selections. You're going to be choosing what stories do you cover, what stories don't you cover, et cetera, et cetera. And then, of course, you've got the difference between editorial writers and, and people who do like what I do, which is we are commentators. We express our opinion versus the stuff that's supposed to go on in in the news departments, uh, the the reporters and things like that. So there's always a difference. Like I say, what I do for a living is the I say I view it as the equivalent of a newspaper columnist, where you I get paid to give my opinions, or a newspaper editorial writer versus the reporters, the people that are out there presenting it. All I am saying, and I continue to to believe this, is I think what we need to do is I think. I think there's blame to go around. I think President Trump should dial back the rhetoric. I think that would be good, and I think it would be positive. But at the same time, maybe some introspection from the CNNs of the world would go a long way, too. 225, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 237, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. From Herb Adderley to Charles Woodson and one of today's Packers, you can pick between them or one of ten other legendary Packer cornerbacks and vote on who is the best in the second week of our Green Bay 100 all-time team vote. Text the number 100 to the Acunet Mortgage Talk and text line. That is 414-799-1620, and you can vote. All right, one of the things that I, I, I have access to... All these different news media reports that come in, the local police reports and things like that. So you see this kind of stuff as you're happening and as it's happening. And it is, I guess, extremely frustrating and extremely disappointing. If you haven't been keeping track, 
the homicide rate per capita in Milwaukee, and this is like the number of people murdered per like 100,000 people, our homicide rate is on a par with that of Chicago. Now, you, you probably saw some of these stories about Chicago a couple of weeks ago where you have 25 people dead and all that type of stuff in a weekend, and, and that is appalling. But Chicago is a much bigger city. So far this year, Milwaukee's per capita homicide rate is 11.6 per 100,000 people. That is very close to Chicago's rate of 11.7 per 100,000 people. If you haven't been paying attention, in the last two weeks – In the last 15 days, let us be fair, there have been 14 homicides. This isn't 14 shootings. There's been a lot more shootings. There have been 14 homicides in the last 15 days. Uh, There was a story on today's TMJ4, and it it caught my attention because the, the headline was, Plan in Place to Curb Milwaukee Summer Violence. Plan in place to curb Milwaukee's summer violence. For the love of God, there has been 14 homicides in 15 days. Plan in place to curb summer violence. What is the plan? Is the plan to wait till it gets cold? We've got winter coming on. Maybe that will reduce it. Here's the story. Community leaders are working on a plan to stem the surge of shootings seen in Milwaukee the last two weeks. Community leaders are working on a plan. Hmm. 14 people have been killed in the last 15 days. That includes two men killed Wednesday afternoon near 6th and Center. That, by the way, doesn't include, for example, the five-year-old boy who was wounded the other night in a shooting. Um, The story continues. The shooting, that shooting, the last one that killed two people, came just hours before a strategy session on how to stop the summer violence organized by the City of Milwaukee's Office of Violence Prevention. Hmm. There have been some of the most violent weeks that we've had all year, says the office director. Wednesday's meeting was part of an ongoing plan to prevent violence called the Blueprint for Peace. How is that Blueprint for Peace working out so far? But the meeting focused on a 24-day strategy starting this weekend. Huh. All right. All right, it's mid-August. We're starting this strategy this weekend that will involve community leaders and activists going into neighborhoods most plagued by violence and working on conflict resolution and outreach. We're trying to change the mindset of promoting peace and saying, how do you live a lifestyle of peace? All right, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. But anybody who thinks that that's going to stop these gangsters and these thugs and these convicted felons and these people with the impulse control of fruit flies from resolving things by shooting at each other is living in la-la land. Uh, okay, um, and so we're, we're working on a strategy. We're getting ready for the blueprint for peace. Uh, n- nothing personal here, but it isn't working. It, it isn't working, and how many more people have to die? Now, here's the bottom line of this. I, I want to try to... I want to try to offer constructive solutions. I was trying to think of how to address this on the show, and I don't want to do the topic, or are you afraid to go in the city of Milwaukee and are you worried about this? Because the answer should be yes, given the nature of violence. But what do you do? And, and I guess I, I want to offer a couple things. And, and I think it's way past time for the mayor and the new police chief. And by the way, I, I don't, 
police are reactive. I, I get that. There's only so much they can do. When you have career criminals that are out on the streets, people who aren't legally allowed to carry guns, who are carrying guns, and again, people who are carrying guns that have the impulse control of fruit flies, or the people that Chief Morales describes as the 10%ers, the 10% of criminals that commit the vast majority of crime, the, the truth is there, there's only so much that the cops can do. I get that. And, and so this is not a criticism of the police chief. It's also not really even a criticism of, of the mayor. Um, who I know is frustrated when he gets these reports of the different shootings and the different crime levels. And, and I, I'm sure he is frustrated as well. But, but here's the bottom line. I think it's great for people to go out into the community and say, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to, we're going to try to talk about peace and we're going to sing kumbaya and we're going to try to talk about conflict resolution. And, and yes, you two gangbangers with the 16 felony convictions between the two of you who aren't allowed to have guns, well, don't shoot at each other. I think that's wonderful. But but that's we're in la-la land. Right now, there is, in my opinion, there is a crisis going on on the streets of Milwaukee, not unlike a crisis, similar crisis, going on in other urban areas. And all these ideas of let's be touchy-feely and let's be conflict resolution, that that's great. But that's a long-term type of thing. That's not saving people on the streets. Here is what needs to happen, and it's twofold. First of all, starting like about 10 minutes ago, you need to have saturation patrols. You need to flood the high-crime areas of this community with police officers. And the police officers, in my opinion, need to be aggressive. And by that I mean I'm not talking about trampling on people's constitutional rights, but they need to be visible and they need to be aggressive. So when you see the fight, when you see the car that speeds through the red light, you need to be aggressive at getting people who are, whether it's big stuff or little stuff, you need to be aggressive. You need to have a presence. There are some people in this community who aren't going to like that, but I don't care. You need a huge police presence in the high crime areas. That's number one. Number two, and I give the police chief credit. The new police chief credit is working in this direction, but the effort needs to be redoubled. You need to make a commitment to get that 10% off the street. And if there are people with outstanding warrants of committed crimes of violence, the priority needs to be getting them off the street because just as surely as night follows day, it's those people that are out there that have the outstanding warrants, that have absconded, that have jumped bail, that are the probation viol- or parole violators after they've been released for vi- tri- crimes of violence. You know darn well that they're going to be committing another crime. And if there's an outstanding warrants, that's the concentration. All right, I want to open up the phone lines. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, I'm all in favor of these, like, blueprints for peace and these ideas and the hoity-toity stuff, and and that's great. But short term, people are dying. Children are being shot. It is a shooting gallery in certain areas, partly brought on by the weather. I get all that. But waiting for fall is not a strategy. And from the law enforcement perspective, there's one thing you can do, two things. Flood the community with police officers in those high-crime areas. And number two, again, concentrate, redouble, triple the efforts 
at identifying the bad guys, the people with the warrants, the dangerous folks that are out there who have jumped bail or whatever, violated their parole, and get them the hell off the street. And, and that's, that's, of course, a start. I understand then it comes to that next point. Once you make these arrests, what happens with the DA's office? What happens with the judges? But short-term, get them off the street. 414-799-1620. We discuss in just a moment. It's 245. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. To learn more about our services or to explore our different communities and find the best home for you or your loved one, please visit CapriCommunities.com. That's CapriCommunities.com. Or call us at 262-798-1224. Please call. Join the conversation. 262-798-1224. Capri Senior Communities. It's not just my apartment. It's my home. 249, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Look, these neighborhood groups, it's wonderful. We've got these blueprints for peace. You know, we're going to reach out. We're going to try to promote nonviolence and stuff like that. That's great. But you're not reaching the people who are committing the crimes. My guess is, you know, when all is said and done and you start to look at the people that are responsible for the shootings and the homicides, what you're going to find is it's people who weren't legally allowed to carry guns who are carrying guns. It's people that have lengthy criminal records who probably shouldn't be out on the street. And at least short term, short term, while we try to figure out how to give peace a chance, the police need to be saturating some of these high crime areas with Law enforcement authorities to, number one, try to deter this type of behavior, and number two, to try to nip stuff in the bud. And and then um, we need to also, at the same time, be concentrating on arresting those 10 percenters, the ones that are out, they've skipped bail, they're out on parole, whatever, and they violated the parole, get them off the streets so they don't have an opportunity to terrorize the community. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Kyle in Milwaukee. Kyle, you're first. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. How are you doing? Real well, thank you. What do you think? Uh, I think that both ideas that you have are great ones. Um, I, I think that police being more aggressive on the streets is absolutely a solution. I think that, uh, you know, anybody with a long criminal record should also be looked into, whether it's warrants or, or anything else. But um, my only concern with, with police being more aggressive in those areas is just that, uh, you know, you, you hate to see any loss of life, but um, anytime the police are being aggressive, and especially these areas of Milwaukee mm-hmm. where we're having these high crime areas, it, it does put, you know, police life at risk as well. So Well, right, and, and you get some resistance because there's some, there's some people in the community, and I'm not speaking, you know, of everyone, but there's some people who you don't trust the police, they don't want to cooperate with the police, and so, hey, the, the, here, here the, the police are here, so we're, we're going to resist. Well, okay, the, the problem with that is you, you get 14 homicides in 15 days and God knows how many shootings. It's, it, it's really, it's a difficult situation. Yeah, it absolutely is. I mean, I'm speaking from somebody that, uh, you know, ex-military, but also my father is, is a police officer, not in the city of Milwaukee, but in Racine. And, um, you know, so I, I have, I guess I'm a little impartial to uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> to police lives, but, um, sure. you know, I, I think these guys are out there. And, and as long as they are being aggressive, as long as they are being active, um, Right. You know, I don't I don't see any issue with that. You know, no, as, no, th- no as thanks as for the call card. No, I appreciate it. You know, I, I mean, they're. they're there are people in Madison who who view the police essentially as an occupying force, who don't want to have police officers in high schools, who at least in some cases that you know don't want the police in their community. Oh, you know, okay, well, how well is that going to work out? And again, in an ideal in an ideal world, 
I, I understand two guys get into an argument and, you know, they don't pull guns out of their waistbands and shoot each other. I, I, and, and not only shoot each other, but then shoot randomly and hit a five-year-old boy or whatever in the background. I, I get that. Unfortunately, we don't live in a perfect world and this stuff is going on. And, and I guess I, I have this frustration that's there because this, this affects all of us because that, that's the truth. It, it's not just do you live in a particular area where you end up being a prisoner because there's shootings that are occurring, but, but it happens it affects your perception of a community, and to the extent that some of the, this crime sort of spreads all over the area, and we've seen that, it, it affects all of us. If you think, oh, this is just a problem that's limited to you know a 10-block area in the city of Milwaukee, you're, you're just wrong. That's not what's going on here, and, and you need to get a handle on it. Look, this isn't, like I said earlier, this isn't a criticism of, of I've criticized Mayor Barrett for all sorts of stuff. He's frustrated with this. I'm sure the police chief is frustrated with this, but nobody has a solid solution to it. And I think short term, at least, these these numbers, these shooting numbers are unacceptable. And at least short term, I, I think, again, you need to take a law enforcement solution to this and then let the other stuff work out. Brian in Sheboygan. Brian, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi there. Hi, Brian. Uh, thanks for taking the call. Yes, sir. Yeah, I uh, I agree with uh, what's been said so far. Uh, it does raise a couple of interesting questions. Then, uh, when you do do a sweep like this and fill the jails, you know you're, you're going to have to build more jails. We're facing that problem up here in Sheboygan. We're talking about building a, another pod on at the at the cost of maybe twenty five million right. plus staffing it and everything else, which is a, a heck of a problem. I'm on the law committee up here, and I, right. and I understand the problems. I've, I've been on the county board for 20 years. Well, and then also, you know, part of this problem, too, is happens to be that some of the judges are, are so lenient by the mm-hmm. time the police, you know, uh, finish the paperwork, these, yep. these guys are back on the streets again because the judges say, oh, you know, twenty five dollars bail or whatever it is, and maybe I'm being too low on that. Well, bail. no, but no, I get it. it's a revolving door, Brian. Thanks, I wish we had a little more time. I'm kind of up against the clock, but no, that's that is an issue as well. I mean, I've told this story before. One of the reasons that that Ed Flynn justified what I thought was this foolish "we're not going to chase people" policy was that well, we catch them. And then they're just turned loose anyway. So why endanger people's lives? Why put cops' lives at risk? We'll just let them drive away because police op, because the judges won't do anything. That's where I'd like to see guys like Tom Barrett use their bully pulpit to call out sentences which are completely and totally outrageous. Um, but I'll, I'm not holding my breath for that to happen. It's 2.55. When we come back, we're going to find out what John and Melissa have on their minds. Stick around. <laughs>